frankly, we have to take the long view. The threats we face are going to be here for a long time. They're going to evolve. There are going to be new ones. And we're going to need new ideas in order to face them. And if we don't have that seed corn, we're not going to be successful. Welcome to Hidden in Plain Sight. I'm Sophia Bush. And I'm Austin Craig. This podcast explores the real-life people, teams, and technologies that are solving society's most serious problems. Right now, all across the globe, there are a handful of people crazy enough to believe that they can solve our biggest dilemmas with data. If we're going to find solutions, we have to know where to look. And as more and more of our lives are digitized, even more of those answers can be found in the data all around us. What if the answers to humanity's biggest problems were hidden in plain sight? This season of Hidden in Plain Sight is brought to you exclusively by our friends at Splunk, the data to everything platform. Splunk helps organizations worldwide turn data into doing. It's time for data to be more than a record of what happened. It's time to make things happen. Learn more at splunk.com or by clicking the link in our show notes. There's a place tucked away in a small valley due east of San Francisco Bay, where a team of scientists are doing what, to many of us, would sound like science fiction. Originally built to study and safeguard the U.S. nuclear stockpile, this lab and its scientists have been at the forefront of innovation since its inception. And while their work on nuclear physics is still the best in the world, today the number of fields and pursuits of active scientific study here are really mind-blowing. It's where some of the brightest scientists alive are solving serious global problems and unlocking incredible technological possibilities. They're developing new techniques for 3D printing, including inventing methods for printing living tissue, and finding new ways to print incredibly small and lightweight solids. They're studying human brain activity by monitoring individual living neurons growing on electronic sensor arrays. And they've built the world's largest laser, combining 192 individual lasers to converge into the single hottest point in the solar system, hotter than the center of the sun. And all of it, from nuclear physics to biological testing to neuroscience innovation, happens at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, led by director Bill Goldstein. I actually always introduced myself as a physicist. That's how I was trained. That was my vocation and my avocation. And I like to think it still is. It's the things I learned about physics and the, my appreciation of it and my love of it that is what I bring to bear to running the laboratory. In the early 80s, Bill was finishing postdoctoral work at the Stanford Linear Accelerator Center. He was looking for his next career move, and the list of potential employers looking for somebody with advanced degrees in X-ray physics wasn't terribly long. The country was in the middle of a debate looking into whether X-ray lasers could be used as part of a defense against nuclear missiles. And Lawrence Livermore was a leader in looking into that. They had a very active program researching X-ray lasers. It was and is a fascinating field. The very first X-ray laser produced in the laboratory was done at Livermore in, a, I think, about 1987. It really was the, the center of this very exciting new scientific endeavor. And that, that's what attracted me to the lab. And in fact, I went there and joined that program. Remember, this was the 80s, right when computers were first making their way into the workplace. 
Very few people understood what an enormous impact these clunky machines would have on the way we do everything, especially science. And with the amount and type of multimodal data they were producing through their experiments, few workplaces had greater need of computational power than the Livermore Lab. This was um, work that we could only model using the large computers. And then we also had the experimental capabilities of the laboratory to do the experiments that would then validate the concepts that we looked at on, on the computers. So that, that was sort of the earliest work I did. It was very, very gratifying, both because of the scale of the problems that we could do, but also the ability to work closely with the experiments and actually see the results coming in in real time. Today, the Strategic Defense Initiative of the 80s is long gone. But combining high-powered lasers and high-powered computation, like Bill's first work in the 80s, is still some of the most important work the lab does. The Livermore Lab is home to the National Ignition Facility, or NIF. This is the laser array we mentioned earlier, 192 lasers to be exact, The entire facility covers the area of three football fields and is 10 stories tall. Densely packed inside the structure are thousands of optical elements, electronic controls, and one focal point inside a spherical target chamber that genuinely looks like a 30-foot-tall Death Star in a scientific lab. This is where all of that laser energy comes to a focus in a volume at the center about the size of a can of soda. Inside that cylinder, during laser experiments, temperatures are, ever so briefly, the hottest in the entire solar system, creating nuclear fusion that only happens inside megaplanets, stars, and this building in California. It's not just the incredible energy that makes NIF powerful. It's the precision of the facility. For any of the experiments here to produce valuable insight, everything has to be meticulously monitored. There are 66,000 control points throughout the laser array, and each of them have to be monitored continuously to ensure reliable function and consistent results. And the NIF is just one of hundreds of projects at Livermore. This undertaking in information technology, data gathering, management, and computation is as intense as the -the out-of-this-world physics. It's partly why they consistently require the fastest computers on Earth. So right now at Livermore, we house the Sierra computer, which is at over 100 petaflops, 120 petaflops or so, the second most powerful computer in the world, second fastest computer in the world. It turns out it's ideally suited to machine learning problems. Computers like the Sierra help process the massive amount of data from physical experiments, but they can also produce supplementary data with simulations, which is especially useful when the lab is addressing its core mission. The major program at the lab, even today, continues to be ensuring the uh, safety and reliability of the stockpile. And we're responsible for about half of the weapons that are in this stockpile right now. The mission has evolved tremendously, though. It hasn't just broadened. There was a real break that occurred in 1992 when the U.S. ended its nuclear testing program. So we are no longer developing new weapons. We're no longer testing the weapons that we have. So the challenge that exists for my laboratory, as well as uh, our sister lab, Los Alamos, the challenge that we have is to make sure that the stockpile is safe, 
and reliable without being able to test it. The team at Lawrence Livermore Lab has to keep the United States nuclear arsenal secure. However, these are weapons that were made at least 27 years ago. They have to be fully functional without ever testing them and without any new weapons being produced. So how do they safeguard the nuclear stockpile without ever touching nuclear weapons? This is the challenge that we face now. These are tremendously complicated devices. They've been aging since 1992. And the challenge of being able to ensure that they remain safe and reliable is what drives a great deal of the science at the laboratory, including our need for ever-increasing power of computing. Without being able to do the tests in real life, it's essential that we simulate the behavior of nuclear weapons with the highest possible fidelity and the most accurate possible physics and chemistry. And we need bigger computers than we have today in order to do that. We continue to do research in chemistry and physics. And as we gain more and more understanding by doing this research, we can feed it back into our models that go into the codes and get a more accurate picture of what's happening and how the aging is occurring and how these systems may behave. Safeguarding half the U.S. nuclear arsenal is a pretty high-stakes job. And if you ask Bill and the other people at Livermore how they do it, they'll offer a few key insights that make their important work and breakthrough science possible. You've already heard about their scientific facilities, which are really in a class of their own. They have some of the fastest supercomputers anywhere on Earth. And you'd be right to think that some of the best scientists in any and every field work at the Livermore Lab. When you bring those pieces together and drive it forward with new ideas validated by data, that's when the magic happens. You see, the people at Lawrence Livermore believe that one of the most valuable things they produce are new ideas. And with the tools they've built, they can extensively test those ideas. Think of NIF and those 66,000 control points all feeding into a central interface. With that input and precision monitoring, they can discover insights into the nuclear stockpile without ever detonating bombs. They can create methods to one day produce cheap and abundant fusion energy. And they can unlock the secrets of the cosmos, replicating temperatures and energy density that exist nowhere else on Earth. The combination of new ideas and clear, precise data in a manageable interface make it all possible. In fact, Livermore bills itself as the New Ideas Laboratory. The data they gather and the ideas they generate create a positive feedback loop, with ideas leading to new sources and understanding of data, and new data helping foster new ideas. So I've heard that also, that ideas themselves are worthless, that innovation is what's important, and that's ideas leading to value. That's all fine, but you can't have any of that without ideas. This is our seed corn. Um, this is what enables us to solve future problems. You can't take the point of view a priori that only ideas that have value on some time horizon are worthwhile. Frankly, we have to take the long view. The threats we face are going to be here for a long time. They're going to evolve. There are going to be new ones. And we're going to need new ideas in order to face them. 
And the scale on which those ideas are going to bear fruit can be two years, but it can also be 20 years or 30 years. And if we don't have that seed corn, we're not going to be successful. Whether it's testing nuclear fusion inside the National Ignition Facility, or studying how microbes in soil might absorb more carbon dioxide, or synthesizing super-heavy atoms that can only exist for minuscule fractions of a nanosecond before radioactive decay rips them apart. All of the work at the Livermore Lab is driven by ideas and data. The experimental facilities are critical to testing hypotheses in physics, chemistry, material sciences, biology, and every subset of those fields. This lab of new ideas relies on intricate systems of sensor input to provide the necessary feedback to tell whether their ideas are valid ways of understanding the material world or not. Data won't always offer insights or a new hypothesis. You still need the curious researcher to introduce groundbreaking ideas. But if you build a data-driven culture, it can help you figure out the right questions to ask. To solve the world's biggest challenges, we need something every child has naturally, but too many of us lose by adulthood. We need to fearlessly create and explore new ideas. When there's resistance to risk, there's almost a concomitant resistance to new ideas. There's the risk that a new idea will not pan out, will not be successful, will not have an application immediately. And that's a real risk. It's a risk that you've wasted money. It's a risk that you've wasted people's time. I see that at our laboratory, it's something we constantly have to resist and fight, is the tendency towards risk avoidance. We have to constantly remind people that failure is part of what they do. You don't succeed without having failed. In fact, failure in some ways is something that should not be in the scientific lexicon in some sense. I mean, if you do science and you follow the scientific method and you explain what you're doing, then the rest of the community can learn from that. Ideas matter. The impact of those ideas matter. Creating a culture where experimentation and idea testing is encouraged is no easy task. And although your organization may not have thousands of scientists in the pursuit of keeping the nuclear arsenal secure, you can experiment and explore big ideas too. With the seed of an idea and the right tools to understand the data, you can solve serious problems. Who knows? Maybe you can even uncover a secret that's hidden in plain sight. I'm Sophia Bush, and you've been listening to Hidden in Plain Sight from Mission.org. This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Splunk, the data-to-everything platform. In today's data-driven world, every company, big or small, new or old, is sitting on terabytes of unused, untapped, and unknown data. Splunk helps turn all that data into action. Using cutting-edge AI and machine learning, Splunk delivers real-time predictive insights that will help you on your mission to change the world. With solutions for IT, security, Internet of Things, and business operations, Splunk empowers people to make faster, better decisions and take action to get things done. It's time for our data to be more than a record of what happened. It's time to make things happen. Check it out at Splunk.com. <laughs>